0: And we're going to start in, uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 12, 13, and then we're going to skip to 19 and 20, but we're really going to be trying to get through all the way through chapters 2 and 3, um, and so I'm going to pray, and then, uh, uh, and then we're going to read God's word together and go through God's word together. Um, Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Uh, Your word is a light unto our path, uh, and we live in a dark world. Father God, speak to us, light our path this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Um, I'm also going to put the verses on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to read, uh, please raise your hand and we'll get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that Bible. All right, chapter one, verse 12, 13, and then 19 and 20. This is the Apostle John speaking by the Holy Spirit. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I saw, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, Now, verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So trying to get through two two chapters um, seven churches is a lot is a whole lot is a lot of we're going to do some reading today and these seven churches really are seven sermons but I love reading scripture and kind of taking it all in and so I hope that we can do it justice this morning we can do these these verses justice these these verses, if we could get those back up on the string, Caio, these verses, really, they set the stage for what's about to happen in the whole book, but also in this verse two, in these first two. It gives us the who, who is talking. It's Jesus Christ is talking. This is the risen Jesus Christ talking to the church, and it gives us the who he's talking to. It says that the seven lampstands are seven churches, and that the stars are are the angels of these churches. Now, some people think that John is talking about an angel, like an actual angel. Some people think he's talking about a pastor. Whichever you like, read spiritual leadership. He's talking to the spiritual leadership of these seven churches. So Jesus Christ is talking to the seven churches, but not just to these seven churches, but also to individuals in the churches, to people just like you, and just like me, and not just to those people back then, but actually to you and me today, to you and me today. That verse, I love verse 19. It says, the things that you have seen, what is now and what will be. This is how I read scripture a lot. It happened, it's happening, and it's gonna happen again. It's so true, it's truer than true. That's how true it is. It's still happening, that's how true it is. And so we're going to try to get through these seven churches. Um, There are some sermons that title a a message on Revelation 2 and 3, The Seven Kinds of Christians. You know, the problem that I have with that is that there aren't just seven kinds of Christians. Really? Okay. All right. You know, and you know what else it reminds me of? It reminds me of this thing. Can I just make a couple people angry? Caillou, can you put up this thing? Does anyone recognize this thing? (laughs) Goodness gracious. If you don't know what this is, good for you. In my opinion, these are basically. Zodiac signs for Christians, all right? If you find yourself saying, well, I'm this way because I'm a type three, or uh, he is such an ESFJ, just substitute Pisces or Gemini and listen to yourself, okay? God didn't just make nine kinds of people or 16 kinds of people. There's not seven kinds of Christian. You can take that thing down. Um, (laughs) There's not just seven kinds of Christian. And so this message today isn't going to necessarily speak to every person, but I know for sure that among these seven churches, there's someone here today that it applies to. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? There's more than seven kinds of churches, but I can find these seven kinds of people in this room today. There's enough people in this room. And I believe that if it's God's word for you today, that you have a responsibility to listen and act on it act on it the first act for a lot of these churches is to repent some of them it's not to repent it's to remain because they're doing a good job okay so for some repent and for others remain and if you're in the repent camp at some point during the sermon because we're going we're going to be going over you might start to feel uncomfortable. You might start to feel a little sweaty. Your heart starts beating a little faster. Maybe you get mad at me, or your friend who brought you here because you're like, who told him about, you know, the thing that I'm doing, okay? Or maybe you get sad, okay? Just know that if that's happening to you, I don't know anything about you. It's God that's speaking to you this morning, okay? It's God that's speaking to you this morning. So, here we go. First one, the first, the first church, chapter two. We're gonna put the verses up here. There we go. Chapter two, um, so that you can uh, so you can read up there too. It's in English and Spanish. Um, chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write: These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here's the word to the first church. This is the church in the city of Ephesus. And remember, this is public. This is read to everyone. At the end of the service, we're going to have a time of prayer where I'm going to ask you, if you felt like God was speaking to you, to come up and pray in public. Now, God is, he is having John write this letter and he's going to put all these people on blast. He, there's a church in the city, he's like, "Guys, you're in the city. There's some stuff that's going on, okay? In public." All right? So it's not extraordinary when we come when when you feel like God is working in you, doing something in your heart that you should publicly respond, okay? So the first To the first church in Ephesus, he introduces himself as holding the stars and walking among the lampstands. We touched on this earlier. He holds all authority in his hand. Jesus Christ holds all authority in his hand in the church. And he is in the church. Now there's two things that encourage me here. One is that he holds the authority among all different kinds of churches. And he is in the midst of all different kinds of churches. And the reason why I like that is that in these churches that he holds the authority of and that he is in the midst of, there are gonna be some good things and there are gonna be some bad things. There are gonna be some churches that are all bad and there are some churches that are all good. Churches, okay? We tend to think as we know more that God is just not in those other churches that have something wrong with them, right? That as I learn more about the Bible, as I learn more about church, that the churches that are doing something different, maybe even doing something wrong, he's not even there at all. He's not even there at all. There's gonna be some churches here today I would never recommend that you attend or invite a friend to, but He's in the midst of those churches and he's holding the authority in his hand. I like that because there's a lot of imperfect people and a lot of imperfect churches and I know that I'm imperfect and I know that you're imperfect too and I know that you know what those things are. He holds the authority in his hand and he's in the midst of them. To the church in Ephesus, he says, starting in verse two, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. He is proud. Thank you for putting them up. He is proud of the good things that they've done, right? He loves that they have sound doctrine, that they believe right things. He loves that they are serving people in their community. He loves that they are acting like Christians. The, once again, this is what makes these chapters so strange and why I love them so much, because there are good things, right? He's pleased with the good things, right? God, it's so, it's, for someone who has a lot of guilt, it's so easy to think of God as just angry at you all the time, right? For, forget about all the good things, just a mean parent who can only focus on the bad grades. It's easy to think of God like that, but God is not like that. He sees the good that you've done and He's like, good job. But He doesn't stop there. Praise God. He continues saying in verse 4, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Maybe you've met a Christian who has done a lot of good things. Praise God for those good things. They've studied a lot. They know a lot of doctrine. They know a lot of the right things. They've done a lot of the right things. Maybe you're that Christian, but where's the love? Where is the love? Where's the love for Christ? Where's the love for his people? If you say, oh, I love Jesus, but I can't stand all those people, (laughs) there is something wrong in your heart. Love for Jesus produces love for people, right? If everything is a burden, but your doctrine is good, it's not enough for him, For Christ, for Jesus. He wants your love. I think He would rather that you scale back all the stuff that you're doing and just spend time with Him. Okay? Because He wants your love. This wasn't just for them, this is for you. And I think there's someone in here this morning where everything feels like a burden. And you want there to be love, but you don't feel the love. If we don't have love for Christ and by extension for the people around us, if our motivation is something different, then let's see what he says in verse five. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Brothers and sisters, if you don't have love, you have nothing. If your faith doesn't have love, it will shrivel up. I'm not that old, but I've been going to this church long enough where you see people come to church, they do a lot of work, they do a lot of things, there's no love, they get burnt out, and they leave, and you never see them again, yet there's always time. Love, let your works be with love. And at the end of each section, he says something like this. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's his way of saying, do you lack love? You know who you are. Listen. The next church, chapter two, verse eight to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write: These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say there are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid about what of what you are about to suffer, I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown, uh, the victor's crown of life. Here he is speaking to the persecuted church. Persecuted is kind of a churchy word. It just means suffering for your faith. He introduces himself as the first and the last and having conquered death. He is going to have the final say. That is an encouragement to someone who is being persecuted who feels like they have no say and that the devil has the say right now. Things may not be going well, he's going to have the final say. Some people have been put to death he conquered death. You don't have to be afraid. He says in verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Remember, he walks among the church. He is experiencing the persecution with them. If you remember Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him and Paul was breathing violence against the church and Jesus appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, if you are suffering for your faith, he is walking with you. Scripture has an exhortation, an exhortation. An exhortation is like an encouragement where you shake someone. Like, you can do it, you know, something like that, right? Right? That's an exhortation. It has an exor- scripture has an exhortation for the persecuted church. Don't be afraid, rejoice. Don't be afraid, rejoice. If you are suffering for your faith, God is with you. So don't be afraid, rejoice. Today in America, there is persecution of a certain kind. Maybe you'll get called a bigot for saying you believe the Bible Maybe there's a chance that you'll lose your job. I know there's persecution in America, but when I hear American Christians complaining very loudly about it, aside from the fact that they're not obeying the exhortation of don't be afraid, rejoice, they're not obeying that. Aside from that, it's really not that bad here, okay? There's persecution in other parts of the world where people are put in prison, they lose their businesses, they lose their family members, they lose their lives. Historically, even what we're reading about today, we're blessed right now. When I hear an American Christian complaining about something they read on Twitter, to me it's like if I have the cold and I go to a cancer ward and I say, well, I'm sick too, you know come on, take some Tamiflu, you're gonna be okay. I know there's persecution in America, but let's be honest and let's be obedient to scripture. If we do suffer for our faith, whether that's an unbelieving spouse, a hostile boss, an angry mob, or an oppressive government, however big or small the suffering is, don't be afraid, rejoice. And what does he say? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're suffering for your faith, you know who you are. Listen, he sees you. The next church, verse 12. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword." I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. He starts by introducing himself as one who has words like a sharp double-edged sword. This should remind you of Hebrews 4, chapter 12. The word of God is described as living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is going to cut, okay? He's gonna cut. I remember when I was in Bible college, and someone was going over Hebrews chapter four, they asked a question, what, they, they read Hebrews 4.12 and he, he said, what does a sword do? And someone raised their hand and they said, it heals. And, <laughs> and the guy was like, what? No, it doesn't heal, it cuts. It cuts. God's word is going to cut. It's going to cut right to the heart. And there is cutting that this church needs. And there's cutting, I think, that some of you need very much. He starts with the good. He knows where they live. He knows that they live in an evil city and they remain true to his name. Apparently, there are some cities that are more hostile, more evil than others. Jesus says, guys, I see it. I see what you're going through. Your struggle isn't lost to me, that says Jesus, right? When you're going through it, when you're going through suffering, he sees you, he sees you. It's not unnoticed that you live in this hostile godless city and that you're staying faithful to him. In fact, a member of their church was even killed for his faith, Antipas. But all the righteous suffering and zeal does not discount what's next. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Some of you hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The church in Pergamum was serious about remaining faithful to God. And they did so in very difficult circumstances. But they also allowed sin, probably sexual sin and idolatry to have a place among them. The sin of Balaam is a sin of secret idolatry and sexual immorality. And the sin of the Nicolaitans probably is just open acceptance of those things. And saying, oh, God has grace, you know, for me. God has grace for all the bad things I do, right? So sexual sin and immorality and remaining faithful to Jesus, what? Remember what it says in the beginning. He holds the authority in his hand. He walks among the church. These things don't seem to me like they go together. Sexual immorality on the one hand and Believing in Jesus, on the other hand. It doesn't seem to me like those things can coexist. They are serious about remaining true to his name, and they have a very serious problem. Somehow, with Jesus, that's possible. And I'm glad. I'm glad he doesn't just leave when I have problems. But he doesn't take it lightly He says in verse 16, repent, therefore, otherwise I will come to you and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He says, listen, I love you. I see you. I see what you're suffering, but this has to stop. This has to stop or I'm going to fight against you. The things that are going to happen to you aren't going to be persecution. It's going to be me. Let me say to you, Christian, if this is you, you do not want Jesus Christ to fight against you. I, once again, I've been going to this church long enough to have seen this. I've seen Jesus Christ, I've seen God fight against a Christian who's living a double life. And you know what happens? They always lose He says, repent today before it's too late for you. Do you know that it can be too late for you? Tomorrow might be too late for you, but today is not too late. Right now is not too late. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you living a double life? You know who you are. Listen. Verse 18. To the angel of the church of Theatira write, these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and your perseverance and that you're doing more now than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her onto a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds, and I will repay each one of you according to your deeds. He has the most to say to the church in Thyatira. He starts with the good, like he does. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, I know that you're doing more now than you did at first. Some of this sounds familiar, right? They're doing good Christian things. They're visiting the visiting the people and visiting people in prison. They're taking care of the poor, the sick and the elderly. They're preaching the gospel and they're doing it with love. Look at that. They're doing it with love. That's fantastic, right? That's like all the good things from the first church and some of the good things from one of the other church combined, right? And they're enduring persecution. Oh, man, this is fantastic. But what's the but? A little strange. Revelation sometimes is strange. Jezebel. He says you tolerate that woman Jezebel. In Revelation, Jezebel comes up repeatedly. She represents the system of the world the system of the world revelation is partly a story of the downfall of this great system that the writer calls Jezebel that the that the holy spirit calls Jezebel and the establishing of a new system where Christ rules as king what does he say to the church in thyatira you are tolerating Jezebel You are mixed up with Jezebel. You are in the system. People in the church who have genuine love for God and they're doing good things and they are also deeply in their heart invested in politics, money, and power. They're playing the world's game. They're using the world's tools. They love God and they love politics. They love God, and they're always scheming for money. Remember that Christ is in the midst of this church, and he holds the authority, and he has commended them for the good things that they've done, but it's not that simple. He says, you better be careful, because I am going to cast this system onto a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. You better be careful, Christian, how mixed up you get with the systems of this world. If you have Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon speaking to you as much as Pastor Steve and Pastor Freddie, I fear for you, Christian, these systems are going down and it's the Lord that's gonna take them down, okay? They're not just gonna collapse and then you know randomly something will come up in its place. He's gonna take this system down and he's gonna replace it with his own system. And for everyone who is involved in that system, who is involved with Jezebel, who is in bed with Jezebel, there's gonna be pain, suffering, and death Unless you repent. Repent and remove yourself from the system. Stop playing the world's game. Stop playing by their rules. Stop being a part of the system that is going down, that He is bringing down. And start following Christ with your whole heart. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you mixed up with the system of the world? You know who you are. Listen. Chapter three. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I come to you. To the church in Sardis, he has really nothing good to say to them. They have a rep- reputation for being alive, he says, but they're dead. You know what they are? They're fake. They go to church. They sing loud. They pray loud. They talk probably loud. Every Sunday, it's very, they're very enthusiastic. But in verse two, he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die because I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, this is a public letter. So people in this church, were. this was read aloud to them and then this was read aloud to other churches too. They're fake. This is the kind of Christian who, they sound great, but they do nothing. Scripture is clear works don't save a person. But if we're, if you're reading the same scripture that I'm reading this morning, works are an evidence of faith. There's a little phrase that I made up. Faith is the root, works are the fruit, right? The works don't, the the fruit doesn't make the tree alive, but they're evidence of a living tree. If we could get The picture of these two trees. Here's two trees. I can't see their roots, can you? How do I know? How can we know? We can't see their roots. If someone, if I see a Christian and they're doing nothing, there's nothing. Oh, you know, you might say, well, how can you know, you know? How can you know what's in their heart, right? Well, I can look at their life and I can make a guess, About what the roots look like. Now, he doesn't have to just look at the root at the at the at the fruit. He can look right at the root. But the fruit is for all of us. Right? If if you're bearing the fruit of humility, I am enjoying you, and he's enjoying you. Right? If you're serving, if you're serving people, You're blessing them and you're blessing him at the same time. You can take it down. This person shows up to church. They sing, they say the right words, but they don't serve God in any way. And he says, I find your service lacking. I find your works lacking. Remember that God commends all these other churches for the good things that they're doing. He's pleased by these good things that they're doing. And there's an expectation that genuine faith produces good works, right? He's not saying, no, if you do these good things, then you'll be saved. He's saying, I know you're not saved because you're doing nothing. He says to them, wake up, wake up. Every person in this room owes it to themselves to ask them the question, do I talk the talk and walk the walk? If you're in church on Sunday and that's all, someone asks you, Oh, are you religious? And you say, well, I go to church every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's all you, and that's all you do. Jesus says you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Remember, Jesus is walking in the midst of this church. He holds the he holds the authority of the, in the church in Sardis. There's still time to repent and change because he's still here. I suspect at least one person in this room knows whoever has ears to hear let him hear what the spirit says to this church. Are you fake? You know who you are. Listen. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Yet... Uh, I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews and are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. He says to this church, you guys are doing fine. God sees what you're doing. He sees what you're enduring. And he's pleased. You want to know something? This and the the next church are the only, it's the only parts where he says, I love you. The next church is the worst one, by the way. But he sees what you're doing. And he loves you. Notice he, he recognizes their deeds. There's a lie, uh, you know, that he, he sees it and, he, and he's like, I know you love me. I know you're a fruitful tree. I know what's in your heart. There's a lie that people tell God, tell, tell about themselves. There's, there's two. One of them is only God can judge me. And there's another one that's kind of like it. God sees my heart. Folks, if you're going around saying only God can judge me or God sees my heart, when he finally shows what's in your heart, you're not going to like what you see. And it's going to be public. And when he does judge you, his judgment will be fair. God sees what's in your heart. He sees what you do. To the church in, in, in Philadelphia, he likes what He sees. He says, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have a little strength. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. I know you. I know you don't have as much money as some other people do. I know you don't have the education that some people do, the charisma that some people do, the connections that some people do, the looks that some people do. I know that you don't feel like you have a lot, but I see what you have, and it's enough. Imagine God saying that to you. What you're doing is good. To, there's some people in here this morning, that's all God's saying to you. Every morning in your time in prayer, I love you, says the Lord to you. He, your prayers, he sees them. Your service in the background, he sees it. Your praise, he enjoys it. What you're doing for God with the little that you have is 10 times more than someone who has 10 times more. It's enough. This is a beautiful place to be. And there are people in this room like this that I know. And there are some of you who are maybe listening to this right now and thinking, well, it's not me. (laughs) not me. Folks, if that's you, brother sister, if that's you, find someone and spend time with them. Find someone like that and spend time with them and pray with them. Call them. Bother them. And God will use them to transform you into that person. Are you following God? You know who you are. Listen. To the church in Laodicea, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot or cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see the last last church laodicea he has not a good thing to say about them but he's in the midst he's in the midst he's there with them he says i know your deeds you're neither hot or cold this church this kind of person says of himself i'm rich I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. They don't need anything from anyone and they don't do anything for anyone. They don't show up to church. They don't pray. They don't serve in ministry. They don't share the gospel. They don't give. There's nothing that they do that distinguishes them from a person in the world. In fact, this person is actually the least likely to hear this warning for a couple of reasons. One, they're the least likely to be in church at all. Why would they ever? Why would they come to church if they have no need for God? They have no need to worship, no need for fellowship, no need for a prophetic word. Why would they come, right? If so, I believe that there's someone in here this morning that came that's like this. And two, if they do show up on Easter or Christmas or because someone they like dragged them to church, it's just the same attitude, right? In fact, that person is the most likely to be on their phone right now and missing everything I'm saying, okay? They're by far the most comfortable of all these groups. There's no persecution, nothing, right? They do whatever they like, And they are by far the most in danger. They don't know the reality. The reality is that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus says that he is ready to spit this person out of his mouth. Ugh, can you imagine? Does anyone think of Jesus as just being nice all the time, right? Jesus says that this church he is ready to spit out of his mouth They're disgusting. Whoa, my goodness. Jesus, how could you say that? Verse 19 says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. He loves that person. He loves the lukewarm Christian. What? Jesus loves them. It's hard for me to love them sometimes. Sometimes. It's hard for a person. Has anyone here ever been witnessing to someone over and over and over? And it's just like, st- you know, their attitude is stop. I don't need this. I don't need this. The game is on. The thing is over here. The phone is here. Right? Does anyone know what that's like? Right? Oh, it's hard for me to love them. Ugh. Jesus says, I love them. He's in the midst, He's there. And He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. If this part of the sermon is bothering you at all, maybe that's because God is knocking on your heart right now and saying, hey, I—that's that guy he's talking about, that girl he's talking about, that's you. I love you. Repent today. Today is the day. But I, I fear, as someone who's speaking from up here, I fear that if that is you, that you're so comfortable, that even if you are feeling God knocking on your heart, tugging on your heart, that you'll just ignore it. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you lukewarm? You know who you are. Listen. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to, I'd also also like the prayer partners to come up. We're going to have a couple people who you can pray with up here. And I'd like to put a little table up on the screen. This doesn't say the seven kinds of Christians because there are more than seven kinds of Christians. And I forgot that I should have put a bunch of, I should have put one more at the bottom that says other. (laughs) Right? I want you guys to look at this just for a minute. And maybe, you know, way back in the beginning of the sermon, when we were talking about the suffering, persecuted church, and you were like, "That was me," but that was like 40 minutes ago. <laughs> Today's a day to come up and have a brother and sister pray with you about that. Okay, I know that in this crowd, the people there's there's of these seven things here. Someone is someone is out there. Someone is serving God with no love. Someone is suffering for their faith. Someone is leading a double life. You love God and you are hiding something. Someone is in the system, the worldly system. Someone is fake. Someone is faithful and someone is lukewarm. So, as the worship starts, as the worship starts playing, if, you, if Ernest, if you could maybe you know start uh, playing the piano there. First, I just want you just before anyone comes up to just close your eyes, close your eyes, and ask God, God, am I up there? Am I up there? And if you feel like God is saying you're up there then when we have the prayer couples in the front, I want you to get up in public, just like this letter was written in public. Get up and ask someone to pray for you and say, I, I am fake and I wanna change today. I'm suffering and I need I wanna change today. All right? so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and then I just want there to be a minute, a minute of listening to the music and praying where you're asking God, God, where am I? Father God, thank you for today. Father, I thank you that Jesus is in the midst of the church, that anyone of all of these churches, with all their flaws, that, that Jesus is with them. I thank you, God, for all the people here today that, that you would, you would kn- that they would know that you're with them,